learning. But what's happening at home during the Civil War? Soldiers saved, or families at home saved the soldiers' letters, but who saved the families' letters? We'll talk about the home front in the Civil War with our guest, Dr. Philip Shaw Paladin, when we return on Civil War Talk Radio. Have you let your website go stale? Wish you didn't have to wait for your web developer to return your call when you want to update content? You don't have to. Now you can easily and instantly manage your own website content using affordable Avalar technology. Avalar is a website development and hosting company that provides turnkey internet solutions for companies like yours that need to stay focused on core business. Avalar gives you the power to control your website and make updates and additions in real time without having to learn HTML or other complicated programming tools. Websites powered by Avalar feature capabilities that attract more customers and enhance relationships with existing customers. Avalar offers a multitude of leading-edge solutions, including lead generation and referral tracking, shopping carts and payment processing, membership management, and search engine optimization, to name a few. Take advantage of the full power of the Internet using Avalar technology at www.avalar.com. That's A-V-A-L-A-R.com. You're listening to World Talk Radio, where the world comes to talk. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with Philip Paladin of the University of Illinois at Springfield about various Civil War topics, Abraham Lincoln, the atrocities in the mountains of western North Carolina and other subjects in our first two segments. And we were just discussing the impact of social history as it developed in the 1960s and 70s on the history of the Civil War. And Phil, you, you made the point that we still don't have a, a substantial amount of good work on what was the Civil War like as an experience for those who were not actually uh, doing the shooting. Uh, right. We have plenty of work on the soldiers' lives, and uh, it, it's what most of us are interested in, perhaps. But what was going on at home? My thought is that's going to be very difficult to retrieve uh, in terms of, of evidence, because to the extent families wrote letters to their, their soldier men, uh, those, those letters have largely disappeared. The soldiers had no way to preserve them. That's right. When I was doing research for my book, People's Contest, there was easy to find letters to, letters from soldiers to home, but not very easy to find letters back, uh, letters uh, that would have been written to the soldiers themselves. Occasionally you can find them, but uh, it, it, it is pretty hard. The idea of carrying around you know, stacks of letters as, as you move from one bit back to another was something they didn't do very often. So how, how do we retrieve that history? Well, um, maybe one thing that I tried to, to look at was the impact of, of all of the death that uh, was happening. I mean, I was thinking of a line from Poe, when from the proud tower in the town, death looked gigantically down. And what uh, it struck me that maybe a way of looking at one of the impacts of all this was to study the concept of heaven and it's before the war, maybe once a year, there would be a book that would come out, and it would be about heaven, you know, what, what goes on in heaven. Uh, but even those books, 
um, would say, heaven is a home, but it's God's home. It's not like your home. But about five years after the American Civil War, there is an absolute deluge of books on heaven. Um, oh, gosh, I don't, maybe uh, maybe a hundred books come out in, the, in a four- or five-year period after, after, after about 1870. And I didn't have a chance to read every single one of those books, but the, the, the ones I did, I was struck by the fact that heaven becomes very much like our home. I mean, there are dogs on the porch, there are picket fences, there are yards, uh, there are streets. They, uh, the people in heaven can amuse themselves by going to listen to uh, Mozart conduct his uh, Jupiter Symphony. Uh, they can go uh, watch uh, Shakespeare plays directed by Shakespeare himself. Um, and it, 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 it struck me how, how very hard the people at the time were working to bring the boys home in some way. And they did it by turning heaven into a home rather than some abstract kind of place. Uh, so that, that, was, that was one of the approaches that I took to see how the ordinary experience was affected by the war. That, that's a very interesting thought. Is that something you're you're working on in any way or thinking about? Uh... I haven't I haven't followed this up very much. I, I don't know that. I mean, the, the first step would be, of course, reading those hundred and so uh. books on heaven. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a little old <laughs> to have the patience <laughs> to do that. <laughs> I don't need a dissertation at this point. No. Uh, but it uh, it is a subject that, we, that I think people ought to explore. Uh, when did, a fun- when did funeral uh, parlors start to become funeral homes? And what in the world is home like about a funeral? Uh, well, maybe just because in those days funerals were in the homes, but the, the whole idea of, of how home was affected by the war uh, uh, certainly fits into this heaven, heaven angle. Uh, another thing I, I'd looked at that sort of struck me as funny was uh, people, in, as when the war broke out, you can find the reports of the various insane asylums in the, in the states, mm-hmm. and uh, they were you know they made I forget I don't even remember who they were so make, making these reports to, but in in several journals they would say from the X Y Z uh, insane asylum, uh, our our experience is that people will probably be made less insane, um, be uh, able to have more normal lives. Because of this war, really? Yeah, you know, we're, we often talk about war as insanity, but here was a case where going to war might cure some of the, in, the causes of insanity, which were, among other things, sort of a lack of discipline. Well, these guys will get to—they uh, will be disciplined, hmm. uh, or um, being away from the scenes which uh, drove people insane. Uh, and going off to uh, new lives and new places, um, or sort of just living in a different world. Uh, so insanity comes uh, to be one of the one of the things that might be cured a bit by the war. Although not every one of these reports is uh, thank God for uh, thank God for a war uh, no. to clean out our asylum, but uh, several of them did, and uh, so. Um, you know that's sort of a way of trying to get the social experience uh, as well. Um, I, I suppose some of those soldiers, uh, you know, could commit acts in wartime that we would consider insane or, or, or sociopathic. Uh, being on a battlefield, 
it yeah, exactly. Sort of insane. Uh, you know, that, that's almost the heart of what uh, certainly what fascinates a lot of people about the Civil War or any war is the idea that you can commit these acts that would be murder or or worse, uh, but on the battlefield they are heroic and, and brave and just. And mm-hmm. uh, and then that line becomes so blurred as we discussed a few minutes earlier when when the enemy that you're shooting at is no longer quite so clearly identified and when you are executing these guerrilla soldiers or maybe just civilians. Oh, yeah, well, that, yeah, one of the things that goes on in that North Carolina situation is that the, uh, the, the Confederate soldiers can't find the men, but the women are there at the homes, and uh, they will torture the women in order to find out where the men are. And um, then, they, you know, then they are confronted of themselves with the fact that they are torturers, and uh, that probably adds to their sense of fury uh, about being in this uh, in this horrific uh, place where, where nothing is right, uh, nothing is in its right place. No morality isn't even in, in its right place. Now, in, in terms of talking about uh, the social history and, and especially the, the the current mode for, for almost everything to be framed in a race, class, or gender. Uh, paradigm. There's an example where, where these gender roles are broken down, where the soldiers are doing things to women that they would never imagine doing before the war. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, perhaps some, you know some some graduate student can take something uh, there and, and run with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very interesting mm-hmm. possibility. I saw a book is coming out. Uh, may have already come out about a study of Dubuque, Iowa, after the war, huh. that looks at the way, uh, how the effect of being in the war related to the industrialization of, of this town, mm-hmm. which was an idea I had 15 years ago and, and didn't end up following. But it, it always seemed to me that the experience of spending three or four years marching in straight lines, taking orders, being disciplined, being drilled, having no individual will as far as, as, as the unit goes, mm-hmm. must have conditioned a lot of people to work in the factories that sprang up after the war. To mm. Or maybe made them run, run the hell away from... Or from go the other way. direction. That's true. Go out west. As you know, you get a lot of letters of soldiers writing, uh, a man has, isn't allowed to be himself in this war. They're all these fancy pants officers are always ordering you around, and you feel like a machine yourself. That, that's right. So, so some of them would react by never wanting to do that again. Or by rioting against them. It would be interesting to see how many people would... Uh, strike or do something uh, against the machinery. Um, That's true. One could look at the, the, the strikes of the 1870s and, and see how what kind of wartime experience the people had. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Ivor Bernstein's book on the New York City draft riot does mention that uh, the protest against the draft or the protest against the, the modernizing machine-like quality of Taking men and grinding them, grinding them up in the slaughter of war, um, pulling men away from their families and sticking them out on battlefields, and uh, all of those things, which uh, the, to, to be against the war was also to be against the modernizing effect of the war, at least in the eyes of the, some of these Irish rioters in, in New York City. It's not unreasonable. It shows how far the the, the idea of the war has changed in, in three years, where. Mm-hmm. The, the romantic, uh, very individualized sense of the individual warrior going off in 1861 
Uh, there's, there's no conflict between individual identity and military service, mm-hmm. but that quickly gets uh, gets changed by the reality of war. Also, the the idea of how, what constitutes heroism, and early in the war, it's sort of charging up the hill with your hat on the top on the tip of your sword, um, and that that's a, that's a hero. But toward the end of the war, a, a hero is one who endures. Yes, who's there at three a.m. when heroism is needed, and doing your job, and doing your an ordinary job, but with great uh, with great courage individually or recourage yourself um, and not charging up the hill like a cowboy. No, it does circle around by that time. Let me let me circle around this conversation. We started talking about Abraham Lincoln early on, and when you and I were uh, with a group of other people up in Galesburg for a conference a few weeks ago, you made a very interesting comment there about how frequently people who write about Abraham Lincoln uh, become very defensive if there is any criticism of their subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was very perceptive because there, there really are a fair number of writers to whom any any criticism is, is off limits or must be deflected. Yeah, I, I think if we have come um, to a point where I think almost every, every Lincoln book I read is a justification in some way of this wonderful man, uh, it, it, it's hard to find flaws in him. But uh, every book seems to say that Lincoln got it right, and uh, I, I would suggest, even though I defend him overall in terms of the Constitution, that in the, in the Landingham case, he, he got it sort of wrong. He, he, he should take some responsibility for that. Um, I think uh, he probably ought to take some more responsibility for. Uh, not being as loving and uh, involved a, a, a husband to marry as he should have been. Um, he um, had some strange ideas about uh, what kind of warfare ought to be made. Uh, people uh, applaud that, that he says you know, Lee's army is your target, but that's, uh, that's choosing a strategy which will kill the most people possible. Uh, and also, uh, Lincoln being in favor of certain kinds of weapons that are just ghastly weapons. They're sort of exploding bullets. Um, there's, there's something more to be said than this, uh, he is our secular savior. Well, the, these, uh, it's always terrible when these really good topics come up, and we're, we're just running out of time. We could go on for a couple more hours, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But the music says we have reached uh, already the end of our, of our allotted hour. Uh, Phil, thank you very much for being on the show. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. My pleasure, Derek. And listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Listen. The world is talking. World Talk Radio.